no, it ain't a sweet walk, this don't be. The only joint made this year that'll knock to 2003. And y'all gon' see that the hottest uh. out there was, is, and will be me. Just like that. I can go away for a minute, do some other but bounce right back. Sub no. An Austin podcast. Yeah, let's uh, let's get right into it. We're going to start this off with saying rest in peace to Earl Simmons, uh, better known as DMX. He passed a little over a week ago now um, from a drug overdose. From what yeah. I from what so, I understand, um, I don't know all the intricacies at this point, but I never really knew this. I knew that DMX had drug problems, but um, I think it kind of came to surface that he started doing drugs when he was like really, really young. I think he had an uncle that exposed him, exposed yeah. him to when he was like 13 or 14. And I think he's just been like a casual drug user ever since. But most of his career, from what I understand, he was like a really functioning drug addict. Because yeah. obviously, you know, he made all those albums, he went yeah. on tour. And uh, I think he was just one of those people that, I mean, obviously he had been in and out of jail for various things, but it always seemed like he was one of those people that um, was just like a functioning drug addict. Seemed like a lot of his life, like he was just born under a bad sign. And he was one of those guys who just kind of unfortunately lived under a dark cloud. If you do a lot of research on his life, he went through a lot of hard times in his life, regardless of how successful he became. Yeah. And so I hope, you know, wherever there, whatever it is after this life, he finally found that sense of peace at this point. Yeah. You know? I was, it was crazy to think. Um, so he was 50. I thought he it's a little older than I thought he was. I was thinking he was maybe like late forties, but we're kind of, you know, a lot of, a lot of the rappers, I mean, obviously, uh, you know, Tupac and Big Year deceased, God bless the dead, but, a lot of the rappers that we listened to in the nineties are kind of creeping in, you know, into that 50 year old yeah. age range. Um, I know Jay, I think he's 51 or 52 now. Diddy's up there. Ice cubes up there. Now a lot of these guys are like getting into their fifties and it's just kind of crazy to think, man, cause it makes you realize like how old we're getting to because yeah. all these guys are really at their peak. I feel like in the late, not like earth, like obviously ice cube had a really, really long career. But kind of in that mid to late 90s is when, you know, DMX really blew up. Yeah. I feel like that's when Jay really blew up. Diddy dropped the No Way Out album in 97. Yeah. So I was kind of like a lot of the rappers that were big in the 90s, I feel like are getting into that age group now, man. Where, where they're uh, they're OGs. Older. Yeah, yeah, they're definitely OGs for sure. Um, and that's a very valid point. You know, like we're, it's weird. We're at that age when we're looking at our favorite musicians and they're becoming, you know, like older men, like to your point, Jay-Z, like, I can't tell you the first time I got my eyes on that, you know, I was in seventh grade, the big pimping music video on MTV. Yeah. Like back when MTV was still cool. Yeah. So DMX <laughs> is definitely a part of that class and maybe I haven't paid attention to his career the way that I have other rappers, but yeah. he's definitely a goat. He's one of the greats. Like 
his impact on no one, no one. I don't care how talented of a lyricist you are. No one will ever be able to bring that sense of like raw power and aggression to their flow style, the way that DMX. Yeah, did, like, it was like a different level of energy that I don't think we had seen in hip hop before. Yeah. Like, like kind of just like an angry sort of, just, at least at a mainstream level. Yeah, we you had could never feel seen it. Like it the only person that, and no, I'm not comparing the two. The only person that I can think of that like got close to conveying that kind of emotion and their flow would be Eminem, just like yeah. back in the day, like you could feel the anger seething yeah. out of his voice and kind of the same thing going on with DMX. Yeah, so Eminem's first album, the first mainstream album, yeah. the, that was- Marshall Mathers LP, yeah. which one? The High My Name Is or the Marshall Mathers LP? With The Way I Am, where he really blew up, like- That was the second album, yeah, The Way I Am. Yeah. I'm talking about the first one that oh, had yeah. uh, High My Name Is. Yeah, yeah, what okay. Album, what album is Slim that? Shady LP. Okay. Yeah. So that came out in 97. DMX's first album came out in 98. Yeah. So, I mean, they, that's interesting because they roughly kind of came out around the same time. Yeah. And that's the thing is we don't think of DMX in the same, uh, I think, class as we do maybe like Diddy or Jay because that was really like mid-90s. Yeah as where I feel like Eminem and DMX were kind of in that class where it was like late 90s. Yeah, yeah. That was kind of around the time when like Exhibit came yeah. out. Like there was kind of like this newer group of rappers, I feel like that kind of like showed up like in the late 90s. Yeah. Um, but yeah, man, I mean, I have, you know, I remember seeing, uh, so I was, I was born in 84, so I was 14 when DMX's first album came out. But you mentioned MTV earlier, so it's like, you know, that was the time when like uh, music videos basically were, I think, promotional. Promote like promotional. Yeah. The record companies used to invest a lot of money into them back then. Some of the music videos were almost like movies. But yeah. I remember um, the first song I heard of DMX's was called um, "How's It Going Down," and it was off. It's dark as hell. It's hot. And uh, I remember seeing the music video and I was like, oh, this is super dope. And then shortly after that, I think Rough Riders Anthem yeah. was the second single. Yeah. And that music video was badass, man. That was the first time I can recall. I feel like now you see dirt bikes and ATVs and stuff in music videos, like rappers have them in their music videos. But that was like, I really feel like that music video was kind of before its time yeah. because it had all the dirt bikes in it, it had all the ATVs and they were just out in the middle of the street, like, it was a little more neighborhood based. Yeah, you know? it was. Yeah. It was, and that was just that song was just like a mega, like a smash hit. Yeah, which just don't play it till this day. Like that song is just timeless. And he actually cited that that was one of his least favorite songs, just because like he felt like it was low effort. Like he apparently snapped it out pretty quickly just to finish up that album. He got the beat and he just wrote it out pretty quick. And he's like, yeah. "Man, that's low effort." I think though it's a banger regardless of his personal feelings for it like you know that stop drop set him up open up shop like yeah anyone from our generation you hear that no, it's just like immediately you're like you're is. gonna fall right into that hook yeah and like for me i think the first song of his that really grabbed my attention was slipping like that was off the second album yeah yeah that's, that it's just song. like the way the sinister feel of that beat and the flow and just like yeah it, it that song kind of was like oh shit this guy's on some other you know other stuff 
that uh that album cup the album cover for uh flesh in my flesh blood of my blood was really controversial because he's like on the cover yeah. and he's just completely drenched That's in the cool. fake blood i always love that yeah. yeah that was that was a great album cover yeah dmx man he'll be missed for sure like they don't make they don't make rap he's from that generation that you can look at and go they don't make rappers like that anymore no. like today it's all soundcloud mumble and like i'm not gonna turn this into an old man shitting on the current generation because there are some good rappers out there but like rappers from that generation are just a different breed of cat he's you know at the very top of that generation well that was also before like the internet really blew up too so i feel like the those the rappers from like the 90s they had a lot of money backing them because yeah. the label the, the the record label at the time was had the infrastructure to give the like they you know, you couldn't have a career without getting the power of an AR right. machine and, behind you. Yeah, you had to have that machine behind you. As where now a lot of these dudes like self promote. They self promote. They can put an album out on the internet. You don't really have to be signed to a major. Anymore. Yeah, but um, I mean, look at like, and I know we've talked about it, and I want to be very clear for all of our listeners. No, I'm not putting him on the same level. But look at someone like Post Malone. Started out as a sound crap cloud rapper like nothing more nothing less he's turned into one of the bigger pop icons and he's more or less did it all by himself it's just a different game these days like yeah you can do well, it. he's definitely signed to a major now oh well yeah for sure but he like brought himself up on his own oh, and like sure. versus in the 90s you couldn't do that like yeah. you had to have something or someone whether it be a major or an independent record you had to have distribution i mean yeah. like all of those big records like the the independent record labels in the 90s like the no limits yeah um sub pop the, shit like the, that the, the death rose yeah. they all had to get distribution somehow to get their records into into stores yeah because the internet wasn't what it was well and they the would generally piggyback off major labels like yeah okay great yeah we're an independent but, but we're, we're going to use like yeah warner brothers yeah, or whatever for you know. sure yeah it was just different back then man um yeah i uh we we're talking about the rough riders anthem earlier so like that's one of those songs that even if you don't listen to rap music like even i feel like because they used to play that uh, play that on the radio a lot like that was one of those songs that like even if like let's say somebody who was you know, in middle school with us that like didn't listen to rap, like they knew that song yeah. when they heard it because that song was it all over MTV. Yeah. yeah, it was all over MTV. It was all over BET, um, and it was all over the radio. Like you couldn't really avoid that song, and that's why everybody at the time knew it. Like, well, so to his hits, he was able to bridge the gap as far as like traditional rap fans go, like because. Like, you know, to take y'all all back in the Wayback Machine, his hits were those songs that, you know, your average suburban kid when throwing a party or, you know, a house, whoever throwing a house party, you could put it next to like, you know, pop bangers, like whatever it may be at the time, NSYNC, Christina Aguilar, whatever, like, because he produced these like really you know, influential party songs. Like they were just party songs. Yeah. 
But the catch to him was like he could crank out obviously party song after party song, but he was a legit MC. Like, yeah, he could do both. He could either hit you with some like pop radio friendly shit, or like he could like lay down the most deep, you know, thoughtful hip hop driven track. Like, yeah, he not a lot of guys that could do what he did. You know, and, he, and like I said, he's like Jay Z, he's like Puffy, like you said. You know, he just he transcends the genre more no, yeah he definitely did he uh didn't he go on, i think he was even on the family values tour for a little while with corn and Biscuit. i don't remember that yeah but was because I, because they at first so i think they did the family values tour like a few years so at first it was ice cube in 98 sign yeah the and then i think the next one or maybe they changed it uh, later on the tour, but like Red Man and Method Man yeah. were big at the time because yeah. they dropped the Blackout album yeah. that had that Rottweiler song on it. Yeah. That was huge. So that was like 98, 99 when that yeah. came out. And then uh, I think on the the 99 tour, if I'm not mistaken, I think they rotated Method Man and Red Man and they did DMX and some of the other dates. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, at the time, dude, like that was kind of around the time when you started seeing like some rappers like go on some of the metal tours. Yeah. So, because DMX could like, he could command a crowd like yeah. that. Yeah. His energy, his music had a, that kind of energy. And so did Redman and Method Man, where there's like a lot of bounce to it. The bass yeah. is heavy. Th those guys could perform at a, at a metal show. Yeah. And hey, still bring the same kind of like yeah. punk rock metal energy. For like, sure. Yeah. That aggression. You know what I yeah. mean? And, I agree with you wholeheartedly. Like, and it, there's not a lot of rappers out there that bring that kind of energy. You know what I mean? Like, and so, like, to example, like, no one would say Wu Tang isn't as good or better than DMX, but they bring two different types of energy. You know what I mean? Like, that's more of a laid back kind of thing, whereas DMX was more like aggressive, in your face, like made you yeah. want to thrash. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, you could almost like mosh to some of DMX's yeah, songs if you exactly, wanted. Exactly. Yeah. So um, the other thing too that I don't think DMX gets enough credit for is his acting career. Oh um, man, he was in Cradle, a lot of movies. Man. Cradle the Grave yeah, was good. Uh, Romeo Must Die. Romeo Must Die. Cradle the Grave. My personal favorite was Belly. I always really liked that yeah. movie with Nas. Did you ever see Belly? No, I didn't. But it's good, man. It's about like it's almost kind of like a quasi Scarface. It's kind of like a rags to riches type story, but him and Nas play drug dealers in it, and. uh What's interesting about Belly is uh, it was on Netflix for a while. I don't know if it is anymore, but it was directed by Hype Williams. Hype Williams was a really, really big music video director in the yeah, 90s. I, he did like a lot of like Missy Elliott's videos, a lot of Buster Rhymes videos. But his cinematography at the time was so innovative. Like people had had not seen that kind of cinematography before. The widescreen format. The widescreen format. People yeah. had not seen that before in music videos. Yeah. And so what's cool about Belly is it's a movie, but the way that it's filmed, like this, the camera angles, it's almost just like a two hour music video, man. But it's pretty cool. It's pretty to, dope. Yeah. You'd like it, man. There's a lot of just like interesting, you know, like a lot of drug culture in it. So it's pretty cool. That's awesome, man. I'll have to check it out. But yeah, I mean, uh, he's one of those ones that'll never be duplicated. You know, uh, I'm glad that I lived in the generation that got to see him, his rise. Um, you know, I'll be forever one of his fans. Like, yeah, same here, man. I uh, 
I saw like since he passed, I saw I think his streaming stuff has gone up like nine hundred percent or something oh, like man. that. So, so you know, that's it's good kind of, for his family. Hopefully, if they're getting some of the residuals off. Yeah, that. and like so, like I've been it's been interesting. Um, I've been getting into collecting vinyls, and like you can definitely see the effect of his death as far as the cost like on his uh, vinyls. Um, oh, they got up. Oh, exponentially. Like so immediately when he died like you know and i was tracking it while he was in the hospital or whatever like they're floating in the mid 80s to 90s which is kind of high for vinyls or whatever but the second he died the cost of them just like skyrocketed to 200 bucks or more you know really yeah vinyl which, uh, which one were you looking at um uh, it's hot or it's dark and hell it's hot. yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's it's a badass album, yeah. dude. I wanted that one, but there's no way I'm about to pay 200 bucks for a <laughs> record. Yeah, it's kind of fucked up that they do that when those. I mean, if somehow his kids or his family are like making money off that, then cool. But I, I have a feeling they're probably they're not, not. They're not. It's people reselling. And, oh, okay. Yeah, it's people gouging. Yeah. yeah so there, I'm part of this website, Discogs.com or whatever, and like. It's a bunch of vinyl freaks like myself, you know. Are they people reselling stuff? Yeah. Are yeah. they trading too? Or yeah, I trade. Like I traded uh, for the Black Sabbath album I got recently. Like same kind of thing. Just traded some of my albums for that one. So it's more or less yeah. cool. Yeah. So DMX is, you know, it's just interesting that there's like a wave of renewed interest in him. I don't know if it's people from our generation or maybe kids. Well, I think what happens too is when when a musician that was popular when we were younger passes, uh, and we even see this with musicians that were popular like in our parents' day. Yeah, um, people kind of want to go back and revisit the music. Yeah, which you know it kind of makes you like kind of nostalgic, like you want to yeah. do that. I, I've been doing that. I've been listening to like a lot of his old stuff. Yeah, so for sure. Uh, one of the things I haven't confirmed this, but apparently, and this sounds like a very Jay Z move to do. Um, is he didn't own dmx didn't own his masters right yeah and, and to acquire your masters it costs like millions of dollars yeah. so you basically have to try to negotiate it somehow right. with the record companies because jay-z owns his own masters yeah. like he basically bought himself out of his own def jam deal yeah. and that's how he was able to go off and start rock nation and now he's just basically his own conglomerate at this right. point but what i heard is that jay is working on acquiring DMX's masters so DMX's kids own can get can own them and get the royalties nice. from them. Which man, that's shout out to Hove, man, for doing yeah, that. Yeah, and they had a pretty frosty relationship and the fact that he would be willing to overlook that, like Yeah, in the beginning I think they used to battle rap a little bit. Um, and then they did Murder Inc. with Ja Rule. Yeah. The energy between those two more or less tore that apart. DMX always had a problem with him. Uh, I don't know why, but there was some beef there. And Jay apparently was always willing to overlook it. Like he more or less bought it once Jay took over Death Jam. And, you know, DMX was like, I want to leave. And, you know, Def Jam's initial response was, well, you still owe us $12 million on this contract. Fucking Jay Z just bought it out and released them. You know, it was like, you know, good luck. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think what happens with some of these guys is like, as they get older, 
they they're not mad anymore about anything that happened 20 30 years ago but then also i think they're able to like take step back outside of the situation and they go you know what like this guy was a, was basically like a peer of mine yeah. in the same era yeah we're part of the culture we helped build the culture yeah um i don't want to see anything bad happen to these people you know right. like nobody right. wants to see somebody who was like whether you really got along or not at the end of the day you don't really want to see a counterpart somebody who helped you shape the culture just die like yeah that. no I get so that. it makes sense yeah but yeah man um rest in peace to dmx for rest sure in peace for sure trapped in austin podcast yeah so let's get into it derek uh derek chauvin what did you were you surprised were you not surprised what, uh, yeah what no i was that? like really surprised like for the past couple of days i was like just like saying to everyone i was sure that the guy was gonna walk just because like we've seen that play out in the american judicial system or justice system like so many times where white cop uh you know gets away with more or less murder even though there's you know like mounting you know an insurmountable amount of evidence showing that you know he acted in you know some sort of you know uh inappropriate way and um you know i just kind of figured that's what we were going to see again and you know this time, I, I, you know, the right side prevailed, thankfully, and hopefully this is a moment uh, where we kind of look at how we administer justice um, in these specific situations and use it as a guiding point going forward. Yeah, I think this is something that's kind of a microcosm for a lot of other things, and it's just been way overdue. Um, I think this is a step in the right direction. I hope there's some piece of shit cop sitting at home who saw this and maybe learned, like, hey, uh, get your shit together. This could potentially be you sometime you know, on national TV, having your trial nationally televised, and you may fucking spend a good portion of the rest of your life in prison. So I I think it was kind of a, like I said, man, I think it was kind of an encapsulation. Um, It was like a warning, you know, like, hey, man, this isn't, uh, this isn't going to go on forever. Yeah, I, you know, and I, I agree with that wholeheartedly. I think that, uh, that as I, I guess you could call it the boomer generation slowly starts to age out that, um, and don't get me wrong, the influence of like, you know, whatever party is out there, whatever people that, you know, in, um, verdict otherwise, um, is still out there, but, I think like their influence on this country is slowly declining. And I think that kind of plays out when you see these sort of uh, events unfold the way that they have, which is specific to the George Floyd case. Um, I think as recently as 30 years ago, if this had happened, 
more than likely, Derek Chauvin would have walked free um, on some sort of technicality or hung jury or whatever. Is it Chauvin or Chauvin? Chauvin. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I, last name. Yeah. Either way, though, it, it, I think this is definitely proof that like society is coming to an inflection point, uh, and we're starting to question and uh, reshape how we look at how justice is administered, as well as how policing is conducted in the United States. Yeah. Um. I wasn't, so I didn't watch any of the trial uh, for a couple reasons. One, I didn't really want to relive it because just that, when that happened last May, that was already like a really, really strange time in our country because it was kind of like COVID was going on in conjunction with the George Floyd murder, in conjunction with all the social unrest. I mean, I think that that was that like, Really, last summer was really when things were super fucking strange. And so, not to say that they aren't still like that. It it just wasn't really something I wanted to go back and reflect on. And I just kept thinking in the back of my mind, like, I hope they get this right. I hope they get this right. Um, And they did. Uh and for anybody listening that doesn't know at this point, he was found guilty on all three counts of murder that they charged him with. Um, you know, it wasn't one of these things where like he was found guilty, like on one count and then uh, not guilty on the others. And then they're going to have to kind of give him some bullshit sentencing. That's the other thing that's That's the other part of this. That's going to be interesting is like what a sentencing is going to be. Um, hopefully it's not some, you know, 12 to 15 year bullshit. Uh, I would say anything less than 20 years considering his count or considering, I mean, I think he should be in prison for the rest of his life, but considering what they charged him with anything less than 20 to 30 years, in my opinion, is, um, an abomination. Yeah. I kind of figure he'll be down for at least 50 I think that's kind of. I think you really, you really think they're going to give him that much time? Well, I think the cap, or I think the second degree. So there were three charges. It was second degree murder, third degree mother, murder, and manslaughter, if I recall correctly. I believe yeah, manslaughter was one of them, but I forget the actual like. Yeah, I, the heaviest water. charge was carrying a max of 40 years. I guess he's going to get somewhere between 20 to 30 years on that alone. The second charge carries 10, so I'm guessing he'll probably get about 10 there. Um, I don't know if they like make them all concurrent like that. No, they do. When you get charged with multiple crimes, you like it's generally sentencing is concurrent. Like, that's generally how that works. Like he's going to get all of it all at once. He's going to serve time back to back. I hope so, man. I I hope so. I mean, I don't really know that much about the sentencing process, but um, generally speaking, sentencing is concurrent unless, you know, like he can get some sort of suspended, you know, sentencing, but that's like considering the profile of this case, I think that like, 
you know, and this, this like may come off as like, I'm minimizing like why this is happening to him. And I don't mean that, but I think he's like being made a poster child at this point of like, if this happens, if you do this, this is what's going to happen to you. Um, kind of thing going on just based on like the profile of, you know, the high profile of the event that led to this, the outrage from what seems to be a better half of the country, uh, how they reacted last May or whenever. Um, you know, it's just, you know, I think the powers that be at this point understand that they can't fuck this up and they need to make an example out of them. And I hate the fact that you know, it's like make an example out of him because, you know, this should have been the message purveyed all along is like, this is the standard for when you take these sort of actions. But I think they're making a point at this point to show that like, they're going to fuck this guy's life up and they are going to broadcast in front of the entire world. This is how do you really think it's that though. Or do you think they're just doing their job? I, I think it's a mix. I don't, I don't really think it's like, hey, they're just going to like make an example out of this guy. Because I feel like that kind of, my personal opinion, and, and maybe I'm wrong with this, but like, I don't want to believe that's the case because I think that really diminishes sort of what, what happened to George Floyd. Like, this guy committed a crime. Like, you know, this is a classic do the crime, do the time kind of scenario. Like, I... I don't know about that because I there mean, was a video. It, it was a nine-minute video of, of with his, uh, you know, knee on this guy's neck. Yeah, like, and if it wasn't for that video, he yeah. probably would have walked. No, I agree with you on that. If it wasn't for that video, and that's the sad, sad thing about it is, if that video didn't exist, um, I think he probably would have got acquitted just on just on the f- fact that he's a cop, and that's typically how it works. So what, um, I'll, what I'll say real quick is just that I think there, if you look at the Minneapolis Police Department and the current trends that have been coming out of their area as far as enforcing the law goes and how it's dispensed, there's a disturbing trend there. Uh, compounded with the fact that if you look at Chauvin's history, there was multiple reports of excessive like complaints of him in years past using excessive force. And for it to be found, you know, these complaints to be found valid, he's been punished several times for it. I think that this was kind of historically something that they overlooked at this point. And I think that they did their best in years past to just kind of sweep it under the rug. Granted, it didn't result in death in years past, but they knew this guy had a problem with how he was administering policing. There was a clear trend of it in the past. They did nothing about it. And now at this point, he's finally killed someone, you know, and all this is coming to light. And all of a sudden now they're like, okay, now we're going to, you know, do something serious about this. Um, yeah, I do think they're trying to make a point out of this that, you know, okay, you've caught on to the fact that, you know, we weren't as proactive in managing how our police officers are conducting themselves out in the field. Now we're going to make a point to prove that, yeah, we're going to do so going forward. That's kind of how I see it. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> Did you see um kind of the clips 
like obviously you've seen video footage of like when they're reading off the um the verdict yeah yeah it's it's kind of weird man because i like i mean obviously this guy's been in jail i'm assuming i don't well he did get out on bail for a little while didn't he or was he in prison the whole time no no he was out during uh the trial uh, he posted bail pretty quickly, uh, but as he was being hauled off, the judge revoked his bail, um, and so he's stuck in there at this point. Like he's he he. Yeah. He, so you're out on you're out on bail, and you know you're going to this. See, I wasn't I wasn't too sure on that. I didn't know if he was like still in jail while the trial was going on. So he was out, right? Yeah, he was out this whole time. Okay, so it's like you're out, you're going to trial, and then you show up on the last day, and the judge is reading off, you know, the verdict, and, like, I, I was just thinking to myself, because I'm, like, watching him, and there's, like, not not much, there's, like, no reaction there at all, like, none, like, he didn't look surprised, I, I say all this to say that I think he knew, like, on that last day, when he showed up, I wouldn't be surprised if um, his legal team had a conversation with him and was like, hey, man, uh, there's a really big chance that you may not walk out of here today. No, they like probably, probably like a 95% chance no. you're not going to walk out of here today. And so because the reason why I'm saying that is because he didn't look that surprised. Like there was no I mean, he kind of like you could look at his eyes and you could kind of like see that he was kind of looking off a little bit. Like he was thinking a lot about what was going on, but there was just no, like no emotion there. So I think he kind of like already knew what was coming. That's just my theory. Yeah, I think he did. And I think the, the reason why he looked so comfortable with it is I think like, at this point, like getting out of that court was no longer as a free man was no longer his strategy or objective. I think him and his lawyer, like, you know, more or less have gotten hyped up on this idea that, you know, the comments made by the U.S. Congresswoman Maxine Waters somehow is going to invalidate the entire case, which, you know, there's legal standing both ways for that argument. But um I think that's kind of his in his mind. I, if I'm a, this is obviously just an assumption. Okay, they got me here, but it's temporary. Wait till I file my appeal. I'll get out of here. But the downside. So the argument to that whole thing is like, yeah, I guess her comments, you know, could be seen as a threat towards the jury. You know, got to get more confrontational. We're we're expecting, you know, a, you know, a certain ruling a certain way. Okay, like yeah, there's. That was inappropriate comments, and if the jury caught wind of those comments as they were deliberating, yeah, that could be seen as intimidation and grounds to throw out the entire court of the case. Um, but at the same time, if the jury is following judges' instruction that they're not to be watching news, absorbing any media, anything like that, you know, it's like, okay, well, the comments never got to the jury so you know that's irrelevant so it'll be interesting to see how that whole aspect plays out yeah yeah it's interesting man um i'm glad they got it right though me too sure. me too um yeah i don't think there was any way i don't think there was any chance in hell that 
Derek actually was sitting there and thought, I may, uh, I may walk out of here a free man. Like there's, there was just no way. No, he, he was way, he was way to... too like calm when yeah. all that was getting, like when the judge was reading off the verdict. Trapped in Austin podcast. <laughs>